HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. listening to Inside School Food, where school food insiders talk shop about solutions that work. I'm your host, Laura Stanley. Today, we're taking on cafeteria composting and recycling, mostly composting. Um, what if someone were to tell you that cafeteria composting is the next big thing in school food? Would you believe them? Um, well, I, I've been investigating the movement for a few weeks now, and I, for one, see it entering the mainstream pretty fast. Okay, maybe it's not the next big thing, but consider this. It was less than a decade ago that nationally institutionalized farm-to-school programming seemed kind of far-fetched, too. And just look how far we've come with that. So, so far, I haven't been able to track down any comprehensive national data on the growth of K-12 cafeteria composting. So if any listeners can help out with this, please visit the Inside School Food uh, page on Facebook and share with us what you've got. I can tell you that if you scour the web for information on programs large and small, you will score hundreds and thousands of hits. Most of the programs I've looked into so far are new and small, but not all, as you are about to hear. So today we are starting with the biggest best established and most effective cafeteria and uh, composting and recycling program in the nation in San Francisco. It's a critical element of an incredibly ambitious municipal waste management program. Tamar Hurwitz of the San Francisco Department of the Environment is here to tell us about what is happening in the school community there. Then we're going to cross over to the other side of the country, to Northampton, Massachusetts, where there's just one high school serving a city of just under 30,000. Northampton is no rural backwater, but it's small by San Francisco standards. The high school's first-year effort to establish composting and recycling is more typical. 
and probably closer to the experience that you are having if your district is just starting to take this on. So to begin, welcome, Tamar. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you this morning. Yeah, same here. Um, Let me tell everyone a little bit about you. You are an award-winning environmental educator with the San Francisco Department of the Environment, uh, managing their school education program since 2003. Do I have that right? Correct. Yeah. And before that, you were education director at the Rainforest Action Network. So for 20 years, your career has been focused on empowering youth to take charge and affecting environmental reforms. Um, And we first talked uh, back in April, and it was a pretty inspiring conversation for me as I'm into composting myself, though in my case, it's restricted to two backyard bins. So it's pretty great to have you back on the phone. Um, So just to set the stage, I'd I'd like to kind of, you know, get a big picture of of the program in the San Francisco schools. Um, How does school composting and recycling fit in with the San Francisco uh, larger waste management plan? So San Francisco has a zero waste goal, meaning that by 2020 we hope to send um, really nothing to the landfill. Right now we're at 80% uh, diversion, which is um, the highest in this country. And so part of that strategy for achieving zero waste where we're recycling and composting, um, and again, not sending materials to the landfill is by having a very robust school education program. And so this is when we encourage children to recycle and compost in the school cafeteria and also, you know, throughout the school campus. And we've been uh, composting in the cafeteria since 1999 when we started piloting our composting program. And I'm happy to say that today we've got um, almost all schools in San Francisco with the composting system in their cafeteria. And And uh, the school district has about a 63% diversion rate. That's amazing. Um, So most of the schools, um, so that's approximately how many that we're talking about? Well, we've got about 105 uh, public schools in our district, and then we've got about 100 other private schools. I mean, we've got more than that, but some of them are very small, so we don't, um, you know, we're sort of looking at the handful of of, uh, the majority of schools across the city. And so public and private, uh, we have, uh, you know, I'd say about 90%. Right, right. So in, in one of your composting and recycling setups in a cafeteria, you know, what's the setup look like? So in the cafeteria, what we do is we put a green bin for composting, a blue bin for recycling, and then a trash can all together. And this is really important that whenever you're setting up any type of um, composting or recycling system, that you always have it next to the trash can. Because what we found is that if you just have trash cans around campus, and then you have your composting and recycling uh, cans somewhere else, Uh, students are going to do the easiest thing possible. And so they've got waste in their hand. They don't know what to do with it. They see a trash can. They jump in the trash can. So when we set up these waste diversion uh, systems, we always have the three of those bins together. And sometimes people are afraid that if we remove the trash cans, students are just going to litter. Students are going to litter anyway. I mean, that's a problem that is, um, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to have them not litter, regardless of whether there's an opportunity for composting or recycling. But what we have found is that by having the three bins together, it really gives students the opportunity to stop and remember, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to actually be composting and recycling, not just putting everything in the trash. Right, right. And and a lot of them, and Americans in general, are are accustomed to recycling, even if we're not all doing it. Um, But composting is um, more of a reach. You know, how is the compostable waste collected in your schools actually used, and and are the kids aware of how it's being used? 
Yeah, so the green bins get collected and the waste, uh, the, the food scraps and the dirty paper and the yard trimmings are sent to a composting facility about 60 miles outside of San Francisco called Jepson Prairie. And that's where it is, you know, processed and turned into nutrient-rich soil amendment or compost, which is then used at local farms and local wineries to help grow the food that we end up eating. Right, right. So, um, I mean, so you started in 1999, so you must have had some early adopters. Um, you know, who were they? And for, for another district that wants to start doing this, how would you suggest they, you know, identify those early adopters and get them to, you know, work on winning over the others? It's a great question. And what we find is even, um, you know, even schools that are starting today, in other words, they're not the early adopters, we're always looking for the champions at a school that are motivated and passionate about the issue. And each school has that person. And that's the person that we work with um, because we understand that it takes that type of commitment to be able to even have the preliminary meetings to find out if and how composting can work at that school site. So, um, you know, I think that the... Uh, we know that, that staff changes uh, from year to year, actually, at each school, and sometimes that can actually impact the program. So regardless of whether you're an early adopter or come into the game a little bit later, we're still looking for the people that, are, that understand the value of waste diversion, understand the value of composting, and want to give it a try. And that can be a teacher, it can be a parent, it can be a principal. What we have found, though, is that when we are launching a program in a school, um, it's always important to have the principal on board. Leadership matters. And what we have found is that when we have a a willing principal, it doesn't mean that they're doing all the work. It doesn't even mean that they're doing any of the work. But the fact that they're committed to the program and supporting it really helps set a tone that can create success school-wide. So that's really important. I just want to make that point, that leadership really matters. Right, right, because it it can really feel like just one more big, messy thing to deal with in a system that already has so many moving parts to manage. And I'm sure some of our listeners are, are thinking, you, okay, you want me to compost too. Um, so, you know, when you approach the principal or other leadership, set, uh, leadership at a candidate site, you know, what are some of the concerns that they bring up? It's a good question, and what we found is that um, the concern, for, you know, the first concern tends to be, well, if we put all our food waste in the green bin, it's going to attract pests, it's going to attract rodents, it's going to attract other pests that we don't want. And our answer to that is that regardless of whether you're collecting your food in a green bin or putting it in the trash can, the food is still going somewhere. So that's really not... Um, as much of an issue as people are concerned about. Also, the lids have, I mean, the bins have lids on them. They can be locked. So there are, there are very simple ways that you can create barriers so that pests don't become a problem. So I just want to say that that is one of the main concerns of people. Also, um, that there is, a, there is extra work involved, and we're going to be honest about that, that the green carts, if they are um, unlined, then they need to be rinsed out so that when the food, after the food is dumped, that there's a quick rinsing so that, um, you know, obviously the carts stay as clean as possible. Uh, Here in San Francisco, we do uh, provide liner bags for schools, compostable liner bags, and that seems to really help uh, with the the messy cart issue. And that that has been one of the barriers that we've heard from schools. Well, we don't want to have to take on these messy carts and deal with them. So when we provided the liner bags, then they said, okay, we'll give it a try. And that seemed to help as well. Right, right. And we're going to hear later, that was a transformative moment for the program in Northampton, too, um, when the liner Mm -hmm. bags came into play. Who wants to be scrubbing out those green bins. You know, uh, uh, who would you say are, you know, hardest to win over? I know people working um, at the site, you know, the, the, the food 
service manager at the site and custodians are, are doing a lot of the, the kind of heavy lifting on this. Um, do, you, do you find that you have more work to do in winning them over or does the principal do that for you? That's another good question. I think it varies. What we found is early on, um, you know, custodians are, are some of the hardest working people I've ever met. They've got to take care of an entire school site. Um, it's really hard work. It tends to be often overlooked or underappreciated. And so to say, hey, we have one more thing for you to do can seem, um, you know, challenging uh, and and, you know, Hard, hard to convey, no, this is actually a good thing, um, especially when here in San Francisco, pushing out and, and dealing with the carts uh, isn't, and, and the extra recycling and composting that we're asking custodians to do isn't actually in their contract. So we want to be respectful of that as well. The good news is that we found that at some schools, some of the early schools, um, some of the custodians were very excited about this opportunity uh, to help their school achieve zero waste by composting and recycling. And they also found that by pushing the carts out to the curb, it was a lot easier than lifting the heavy bags full of wet garbage into the trash dumpster. Because in the past, that's what they had to do. They had to lift the heavy bags, put it into the dumpster, and then the dumpster would be taken away. But by having a cart with wheels on it, just wheeling it to the curb, it actually was a lot easier for them. So what happened is that other custodians that were taking it on early would talk to other custodians and say, hey, this is actually easier. It seems like there's an extra cart to deal with and an extra process, but it's actually better for our backs. You know, we're, we're pushing the cart, not lifting the, the heavy garbage. So, um, you know, that, that seemed to be something that was a benefit to them. But it varies from school to school, from person to person. And that's the one thing that we've learned, even though we've been doing this since 1999, every school is different and every year is different. And so we're always working to support the success of the school based on the changes in staff, the changes in the students, and um, really trying to make sure that, that, that school sites have what they need to succeed. Right. And so for, for you, I know a big part of what you do is an ongoing education and um, marketing effort, which is critical around new environmental initiatives like this one. Um, so, And you've come such a long way with this in your 11 years with the San Francisco schools. So let's talk a little bit about how you win hearts and minds, um, you know, starting with the adults, and then we'll talk about the kids. <laughs> well, given that we're the school education program, we prefer starting with the kids and hoping that the adults uh, catch on after. And, and I say that um, really with a, a full heart because I understand the power kids have to um, really touch our hearts when they speak from the heart about issues that matter to them. And that's why when we look at how we promote composting and recycling in the schools with our education outreach, we really try and, 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 and motivate students based on where they naturally are. And so traditionally, recycling education focuses on the landfill, focuses on words like garbage and waste and trash. And I realize that those words don't really motivate me personally. I mean, I care about landfill issues, obviously, but that's not why I come to work every day. And I don't think that those words motivate children either. And so what we understand is that kids love nature. Kids love animals. And when you can help them understand that by recycling and composting, they're actually helping protect nature and they're helping protect animal homes. They suddenly become excited and inspired and motivated to change their behavior, knowing that it has an impact on the things they care about. And so our work is really framed around a very simple concept that boys and girls, you can help protect nature by reducing, reusing, recycling, and composting. And we make that connection. We come in with slideshows. We talk about um, that everything we use comes from something originally found in nature, which is true, right? That's where natural resources mm -hmm. come from. And then we talk about the power of reducing, reusing, recycling, and composting. And that um, 
that moment of education, that moment of inspiration for the students helps them want to do the right thing. Right, right. And and I should add that you've developed a, a huge suite of resources that include things like standards-driven classroom curriculum, worksheets, handouts, education videos, and all of that is um, available online for the public to just use or adapt. Um, and that uh, link is on the Inside School Food um, Facebook page, so I encourage people to take a look. This is just a huge amount of information. Um, and then we really have to talk about Phoebe the Phoenix, Tamar. <laughs> yes. She's like eight feet so, tall. What's the deal? <laughs> yeah, so Phoebe the Phoenix is the most popular member of our school education team. She was born in 2003, and um, that was, you know, that, you know, we we're really looking at, again, looking at previous efforts to teach about recycling and usually recycling, not so much composting, but the, the, the trend has been to put, uh, to animate inanimate objects. Let's put a face on a bottle. Let's put a face on a can and let's try and get the kids excited to recycle by animating the bottles and the cans. Um, so we said, you know what, why don't we just actually create an animal mascot to speak to the hearts of the children? And so the, we were trying to figure out what we would create to help Brand the program. And San Francisco, in our city seal, we have a phoenix rising from the ashes because San Francisco has burned down so many times since its mm-hmm. beginning in the 1800s that um, the phoenix became a powerful symbol for our city. And so we thought, well, why don't we create a phoenix as the mascot for our program? And so we did. And, and we had a choice whether we would create Felix the Phoenix or Phoebe the Phoenix, and we realized we wanted to create Phoebe the Phoenix, and um, she has been a very delightful uh, representative of our program. Kids love her. They remember her. I'll be in high schools giving an assembly, and there will be a picture of Phoebe from, you know, some you know, on some slide, and kids will say, oh, I remember Phoebe, and, uh, you know, we'll walk down the street wearing a T-shirt with Phoebe the Phoenix on it, and kids will point her out. So she has a really um, wonderful presence and, again, helps bring a bit of a special touch to the program so that kids understand that there's there are deeper issues at stake. And um, the reason that we chose a female mascot is because when we looked around, we looked at all the mascots that were out there in a variety of different capacities, and, and most of the time they were ma- male and we thought, well, that's not a very balanced representation. And so we thought we would have a female mascot. And Phoebe, um, if you were to look at her, she's, you know, got some eyelashes, and, and that's about it. She's not overly um, characterized in, in one form or another. And she's not wearing, uh, you know, a baseball cap and sneakers. She's just herself. And, again, she's a very delightful, benign confident um, presence uh, in, in the schools. And, and, again, kids love her. Yeah, she's adorable, and she and she squeaks, right? That's how she answers. Yeah, in the, in the, she actually doesn't speak, and uh, she has a particular personality that she presents that's consistent, but she doesn't speak. But when we did a video of her, we needed to have some sounds, and so we created a squeaking sound, uh, and that's the only time Phoebe really makes any sounds is in this video. But um, it's, uh, you know, she's she's got a big enough presence that she can uh, be silent but still project um, you know, the right personality. Right, right, right. I want one of those T-shirts tomorrow. I want Phoebe. <laughs> we will send you one. <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, last but definitely not least, you know, it's it's obvious that San Francisco, with the level of municipal support, um, has distinct advantages that can't be duplicated in most districts, at least not yet. But you you have been able to help other districts out, haven't you? 
Yes, we get phone calls, um, and this is a really wonderful opportunity for us to share best practices with other municipalities that are interested in uh, learning about composting or piloting it, or they're committed to implementing it. Um, we've spoken with uh, places like Bellingham, Washington, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, we've gotten a call from the mayor's office in New York City uh, a year or two ago. They were ready to start piloting uh, composting in some schools. And so we're always available to speak with any municipality that wants to try composting. We've been doing this for a long time. We have a whole um, kit that we send to people to help them figure out the questions they need to ask about their particular area and to help support their implementation of composting. We're really committed to seeing this be a national effort. We know that we've had a head start. We know we've had a pretty fortunate situation with the way that our city is aligned, and we're, we're really committed to helping others uh, bring composting to their schools as well. So anybody can call us. Uh, we have materials for education. We have materials for implementing the program, and um, we're, we really welcome those phone calls. Great. Well, and Inside School Food will be, you know, following what you do and maybe connecting with some of the districts that you have consulted with, um, because this is, as I said earlier, a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Um, so Tamar Hurwitz, environmental educator with the San Francisco Department of the Environment, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Um, and listeners, do not go away, because we're about to hear from um, Inside School Food's first student guest, who just graduated from Northampton High School in Massachusetts. She and her faculty advisor are going to tell you how they and two other seniors led the school's environmental club in launching a recycling and composting program um, this last school year. You are listening to Presidential Pardon by Taxstar here on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Stay tuned for more from Inside School Food. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Kane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Kane5.com.
You're listening to Inside School Foods, first episode on cafeteria, recycling, and composting. This is also our first visit with a student, Anna Moore, who was one of a team of three. Anna and her partners, twin sisters Lucy and Eleanor Pullen, worked with the school's environmental club to establish a program in Northampton High School in Massachusetts in just a year's time. Pretty amazing. Um, joining Anna today is the girls' faculty supervisor, Nurse Ellen Hirschberg, who was recruited to the job by the club members. So, Anna and Elaine, uh, Ellen, sorry, uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, first of all, a little bit about you. Anna, I understand that you graduated and you're headed off for Oberlin in the fall? Yep, that's right. And you're considering maybe a concentration in environmental science? That's, That's one of many. One of many. I know. It's a little early. I know. And what about your project partners? Um, what are, what are uh, Lucy and Eleanor considering? Uh, they're both going into nursing. Eleanor um, wants to end up in international public health. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So taking some inspiration from Ellen Hirschberg, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about what the, got the three of you into it. this. Um, Anna, you and Lucy and Eleanor were fortunate to travel in a youth delegation to Norway earlier in the school year. Um, it was an exchange program funded by the U.S. State Department and the Institute for Training and D- Development in Amherst, Massachusetts. Um, what was the trip about? Um, it was themed on environmental advocacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so while we were there, we visited transfer stations and saw what a really great composting system they have. Yeah. So, so you came away, and this is kind of unusual for uh, a you know a high school teenager, but you came home pretty excited about waste management, right? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and and you, when we spoke earlier, you you said to me the whole city composted. It was picked up on the curb. There was nothing going into the landfill. Um, it, was it really like that? Was it that that thorough? Yeah, it was so much more institutionalized than the way I had thought about composting in the past, you know, as something you did in your backyard, you know. Right, right. And I understand that you were already composting in your backyard, but this was a different kind of thing altogether. Right. Right. So, Ellen, they get, the, you know, the girls come home and they come to you and they tell you that they want to do what exactly? Well, they said they wanted to start composting in the school cafeteria, which is, you know, it's not a totally new idea. So it was kind of a continuation of things that people have been thinking about. But they were ready to take action and think about how we could really make it happen. So you you weren't exactly daunted. You're like, we can do this thing. Yeah, I think so. You know, students have lots of ideas, and they come in with a lot of enthusiasm. The trick is to really take that enthusiasm and make it work. Right, right. So as your first steps, I understand that the, the three girls had a, had a class period devoted to, to doing this, so they had some time. Like, you know, what, what, did they, what did they undertake first? And either of you can jump in here. Well, actually, well, the senior capstone project is actually pretty crucial. It was the second semester. So first semester, what the girls on the environmental club did was really lay the groundwork. So they started this before they had the capstone project where they had a whole class period every day, the three of them, to put the time and energy needed to make it work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I understand that there was a lot of research into other um, composting and recycling programs at other districts as part of your you know, initial groundwork. Yeah. We visited other schools in our area who composted to find out what was working for them and what was hard. Um, we also used the Internet to find really successful composting schools. Um, we found like a video on YouTube made by a school in Seattle. We contacted a school in eastern Massachusetts. We just got lots of ideas from those schools. Right, right. So there's a there's a powerful lesson right there for for our listeners. Obviously, there's no need to reinvent the wheel, um, and you know because there's so many other districts doing it. Um, so you know, in looking at the other districts, what were some of your most um, helpful 
takeaways and, and resources that you got? Um, I think the, the major piece of advice that we got from these schools was that you need to have people monitoring the bins during lunch, mm-hmm. that, you, that education by itself is not enough, that you need to have people standing next to the bins saying, okay, you know, your apple core goes in the compost, you know, your styrofoam tray goes in the trash, and just directing people. Right. So I guess you had to enlist all the members of the club to, to be there as monitors during the, um, the mealtime, right? Yeah, we got environmental club members, the National Honor Society helped out, um, some biology and environmental science students actually got extra credit for monitoring. Wow, wow. Yeah. So really, you, you enlisted the whole, you know, uh, the, the school community, which is, you know, very, very cool. And it's, a, it's a, you know, it's not, it's not just the getting the work done, it's the lesson that everyone's taking away from it. But, you know, be honest, from the beginning, did, did you think this was going to be easy, was this, or was this more complicated than you had imagined? Um. I think overall we thought it would be challenging, but we did underestimate um, how difficult it would be to get all the students to sort properly. Um, It definitely took longer than we thought to get everyone on board. Right, right. And Ellen, as as you heard in listening to um, Tamar Hurwitz, on the, earlier in the segment, there, there's definitely work that needs to be done in bringing everyone in the institution on board, including leadership at the school, the principal, and so forth, um, you know, even, even if they love the idea. So, you know, how were you able to support your student activists in, in managing those relationships? Well, mostly just encourage the kids, like, who do we need to talk to? So we need to talk to the principal and get his approval. And then also the head of maintenance, we need to talk to him. So it was really just guiding the kids to who to speak to, and then also really importantly was going down to the cafeteria and the kitchen workers and talking to them and building those relationships. And I think the students did a really great job doing that. And it wasn't me going there and doing that. It was me talking to the kids or the students and then them in turn going down and persistently talking to them, finding them, and having the courage to speak to the elders and the people of the administration who are in charge. Right, right. And and um, I understand that you had pretty full buy-in from the cafeteria site manager from, from the get-go, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I spoke to them. They also had concerns. Um, yeah. I'm sure they had concerns. What were some concerns that, that came up? Um, mess was a concern, and bad sorting was another concern. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But still, I say your cafeteria site manager deserves a shout-out for taking Definitely. this on. Because <laughs> that's where you started, in the kitchen, right? And then, and then mm-hmm. moved into the cafeteria? Yeah, we couldn't have done it without his support. Right, right, right. And then, um, so after how many weeks in the kitchen were you able to move into the dining area? Uh, we spent two months mm-hmm. in the kitchen right. uh, while we kind of prepared the whole setup in the lunchroom. Right. And then, and then, and then you told me before you uh, discovered the, uh, the liners, your environmental club members were actually like scrubbing the green buckets at the end of meal service every day? Yep, every day we'd dump, empty the scraps and then wash them out with soap and water. Yeah, yeah. So the custodians must have been pretty impressed. Yeah, I think I think it showed that we were committed and that we could be trusted to follow through with our plans. Right. So they, then they could take take it seriously. So a shout out for them too because they they eventually became full participants. Even though, uh, as you said, there's, there's some extra work for them involved in making this work. Yeah, it's an extra bag. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. So, um, so you just heard about the setup in San Francisco, you know, the separate bins for trash, recyclables, compostables. Does your system look more or less like that one? Yeah, it's pretty similar. Um, we also have a five-gallon bucket for liquids, 
So, like, people can pour their leftover milk in there, and then it goes down the drain so that it's not in the compost. Right, right. And then um, I understand that the um, compostable material is actually converted by your waste hauler, the alternative recycling systems, into soil enrichment that uh, goes on to regional farms and uh, gardens. Um, so that's very cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, Anna, I understand that you and Lucy and Eleanor already made a presentation to the school committee. Um, who who sits on that committee? Um, there's the mayor, the superintendent of schools, and then elected school committee members. Right, right. So you're pretty plucky. Um, basically, you're getting up in front of the school board and the mayor and everybody to talk about this. Um, but now Northampton is getting a new superintendent next year, uh, John Provost. Are you going to be approaching him as well? Yeah, um, Eleanor and Lucy and I are going to write him a letter, just letting him know about the program and telling him how much we really want it to succeed. Right, and are, I mean, besides that, are you are you su- going to suggest to him that that you know the the district grow it out into other schools? I mean, what are your ambitions for the, this going on? And Ellen, you might want to weigh in on this question too. Well, when we present to the school committee, and that's all also on TV, so anybody in the community can watch it. You know, our goal is really to would be to get all the districts and then the whole city to compost. And they were really, you know, the mayor was very interested. They all felt that the high school was setting a great example and that I think that it's not going to be easy. We don't have the infrastructure like San Francisco already in place, but I think people are slowly moving toward that and that these are the conversations like having this radio program that um, just constantly talk about it, never stopping bringing it back to people's attention that will um, get people on board and realize it's not just a fantasy or something silly. It's really something that's important and that we can do it. Right, right. And Ellen, do you think that you're going to have any trouble recruiting another team as dynamic as the one you had this year to keep this thing going at the high school? Well, I don't think I'll have trouble. There's lots of dynamic kids, but it is tricky that you get new people all the time. And Mm -hmm. she mentioned that in San Francisco, too, like every year is different. So it might be different, and everybody always needs to learn this stuff all over again, and we have to keep it fresh and always remind people that it's actually important. So it's just continuous education and continuous conversations, and we all just need to get to know each other every year all over again. Yeah, well, I wish you well. Uh, You've all gotten Northampton High off to a terrific start, and I I wish you all the best in keeping it going. Um, You have been listening to Inside School Foods' first composting recycling episode. Um, Anna Moore and Ellen Hirschberger of Northampton, Massachusetts High School, it's been so great having you on the air today. Well, thanks. Thank you for giving us this chance to talk about this stuff. Oh, my pleasure. um, you know, we have to spread the word. Yes, yes, we do. Yes, we do. (laughs) And I am your host, Laura Stanley. And next week on Inside School Food, we're going to be doing Salad Bars Part 2 with the Food Family Farming Foundation Chef Ann Cooper, founder and president, and Mara Fleischman, executive director. You can find the podcast for Salad Bars Part 1 on the Heritage Radio Network um, online. Just click on Inside School Food to find it. It is episode number six. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. 
To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.